It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Ayo, welcome into the CHGO White Sox postgame show. Presented by PointsBet, use promo code CHGO when you sign up to get two risk-free bets up to two thousand dollars welcome into studio b of our chgo offices here in the west loop of chicago in what feels like the longest day in white Sox history i'm sean anderson you can follow me on twitter at sean underscore w underscore anderson alongside me as always is the biggest san diego padres fan in the world herb lawrence hello you can follow him on twitter at ecknerwall 23 he's a chgo white Sox community leader we are joining you after a white Sox. Win 9-2. The White Sox approved to 52-51 and 51 on the year. And we have not just good news, we have great news. The Twins lost to the Tigers. The Guardians lost to the Royals. The Sox are now two games back of the AL Central. Herb, it was a real salty deadline show. We went an hour and 20 minutes. If you did miss that, make sure that you uh, check that out as well. We go over all the non-moves that the White Sox made, but on this show, we'll go over the loss. We'll be joined by Vinny Duber, who talked to you're Rick Hahn. You're uh, already giving him negativity. You said we go over the loss. Oh, go over the win. We'll go over the... Hey, I'm so used to it. Uh, 50% chances with this season. Uh, they're either winning or losing. Uh, we'll go over the win... We'll go out to Guaranteed Rate Field, talk to Vinny Duber, who talked to Rick Hahn before the game, and uh, we'll probably have some more fun as well. But let's jump right into the game. Sox win 9-2. Herb, when did you feel good about this game? When Jose Abreu hit the ball off the fair pole. <laughs> and yes, I'm calling it the fair pole because you hit it, it's fair ball. So let's True. change that. Abdul, I'm sorry. Really really I, glass half full for you there on the I, fair pole, foul pole. Yeah, I can't be a, I can't be a real fan then. Yes, because I am a fan of the Padres too. But also... I'm like more of a White Sox fan, definitely. That's 100%. Were, Today yes. was a terrible day, if anything, that does anything for you, Abdul. The win feels a little bit better. I feel a little bit more relaxed. I know they still suck, and also they didn't do anything at the deadline except for get uh, Cy Deakman out there. But that's, that's when I felt the, the momentum changing. It was like 5-2, to two, I believe. Or no, they had just scored a run with uh, Josh Harrison scoring off a sack fly and Tim Anderson getting tagged out at third. Jose Abreu comes up and picks up Tim with the home run off the fair pole. So right then I was like, all right, we're hitting the ball in the air, hitting it hard. August Abreu has showed up today because after our 0 for date on August 1st, I was like, What's, what happened? We're, we're lost forever. And August Abreu showed up today with that long ball. And I was like, everything is fine with the world. Yeah, it was real nice. And uh, it, it felt so 
cathartic, especially in that inning, just because Aloy had the bases loaded. He gave it a ride. Mm. I mean, a well ride. And then the White Sox ran into and out on the base paths. So it was a salty feeling in that moment. And then Jose made us feel all nice and warm inside by smoking that ball off Brad Keller. I thought they had some uh, all right swings on on Brad Keller. I I know that people are probably going to be annoyed that I'm saying that in a game they had 14 hits and nine runs, right? But 10 of them were still singles, and we still saw some of the same things that they went into last night. Um, Now, they got really lucky with a first-inning triple by Andrew Vaughn down the line. Um, It was a nice float right down the line, um, right inside the line, and MJ Melendez took a bad route on it, allowing Andrew Vaughn, the slowest runner in the world, to get to third base (laughs) for his first career triple. But outside of that, I mean, there was the home run from Gavin Sheets. There was the home run for Abreu. But up until the sixth inning, it was basically single, 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 single. Yeah, they um, had a, a lot of singles, but some of those singles were line shots. So we had Aloy Jimenez mm-hmm. in the first inning with the opposite field uh, hit, and he, I know I sing the Eloy's Coming song. Eloy's here. Now, the power's not Eloy-like, but it's coming. You saw Sean just say that he hit that ball to the warning track. Off the bat, I thought it was gone, and it just didn't carry out. And He might have hit it probably off the end of the bat right there, but he is here. But yes, you have 10 singles like they had yesterday, but they mixed in a double, a triple, and two home runs. That's why you get the 9-2 to two difference than the one run the White Sox scored yesterday. Hitting the ball in the air and hitting the ball far and hard is good for the offense. It's um, also good to see that, you know, I know it was a mistake by MJ Melendez, but they had a plan. Tim, you see him going to right field to start the game. Melendez makes the catch. The second batter, Andrew Vaughn, going to right field. Melendez is not a natural right fielder. He's a catcher by trade, I believe. Makes a dive that he's never going to catch the ball. The ball gets past him. Vaughn goes to third. The third batter is Aloy Jimenez. He goes to right field, scores a run. And then a Jose Abreu, up the middle, run. Next hitter, A.J. Pollock, up the middle, run. Mm -hmm. So singles, yes. And I think if different alignment, these are GIDPs, but they hit the ball where they weren't. So I can't complain too much that the White Sox got the job done. And I said in a quote that the eight runs they scored off of Brad Keller today is double the output they had and the two starts they had faced them previously in this year. And by far the most earned runs they scored off of Brad Keller since his first start where he gave up five earned runs and two and a third. Yeah, and the Abreu home run was huge. It felt like there was a couple that could have been, uh, 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 you know, uh, taken out on Keller as well. Um, and you mentioned the idea that you know they had singles that found holes, right? That's not sustainable. No. That we need to look for more of those extra base hits, and that's why you know our guy Beefloaf's complaining about Andrew Vaughn not hitting those extra base hits. He gets an extra base hit in the first run or first inning. They score three runs, right? I, I don't think that that's a a, a coincidence right there. I, I am kind of still frustrated though with the approach because you mentioned them going to right field and that's good we saw Aloy kind of get back his timing back by going the opposite way and letting the ball get deep on him but still one of the large issues is them not pulling the ball right you see Abreu pull that ball down the line goes out for a homer right we see Aloy pull that ball today almost goes out we see Gavin Sheets pull the ball that one goes out when they're pulling the ball they have great success this is a team with power they should be pulling the ball every opportunity they should get and trying to lift the ball in the air. I understand that's difficult for them to do. They haven't done it for four months yet, um, but it, it, it's clear how this team could turn around. You and got to get extra base hits. And I hear what you're saying, but what have we said the White Sox have been? 
slider to death. So if you're getting slider to death, especially on the outside corner, if they're throwing him out there, pulling the ball, not so great. Maybe hitting the ball to right field and serving over there. But I hear what you say. You get a hanger like Jose did. You get a hanger like uh, Gavin did. Crush him. Right. Look for it and crush it. Because the pitcher's going to give you those opportunities throughout the game, no matter what the starting pitcher is. He's going to give you those opportunities. And when he does, you take care of him like Jose Abreu and Gavin Sheets did. And Brad Keller didn't, didn't have a whiff. The White Sox didn't swing and miss. And sorry, he didn't, they didn't whiff on his fastball today. Okay. So they didn't have a single whiff. 22 swings on Brad Keller's fa- uh, fastball, 11 foul balls, 11 balls put in play. The White Sox were on that fastball this entire game. And that's what I love to see. The White Sox didn't get slider to death. Even though Brad Keller threw about you know similar percentage between fastballs and sliders, they noticed the fastball, locked in on the fastball, keyed in on the fastball, and nailed it. And, and that was great to see. And it just made him rely, rely on that slider a little bit too much. And the slider was still tagged when he threw it. Uh, average exit velocity, 96 and a half um, on, on slider. So they hit the fastball well. And when they needed to put swings on the slider, it typically were good swings. That's good to see. And because we saw the day before with Daniel Lynch throwing 95-mile-per-hour fastball with light movement, little movement, but not like anything where you're trying to uh, get out of the box or anything like that. Tim whiffing straight through it. You see Jose whiffing right through it. Uh, Josh swinging that ball's head high. Today you saw a better approach, and maybe they came in with a, okay, he throws fastball slider. We're not going to let him pass us by with the fastball at all. Oh, no. Alex Rue with some uh, breaking news said. Oh, no. Rest in peace to Vin Scully. What? Legendary broadcast. So I'll make sure that's correct, but I know my guy Alex Rude wouldn't uh, steer us wrong, but, yeah, that's the real sad news. The voice of the Dodgers for so long did Jackie Robinson games up until a couple of years ago. He did Dodgers games, so a spanning of 50-plus years. So if that is true, man. Dodgers just yeah. announced it, so sad. Rest in peace to a giant in the business, Vin Scully. Man. Yeah, this is uh, from the Dodgers. Uh, he was the voice of the Dodgers and so much more. He was the conscious, the poet laureate, capturing their beauty and chronologic, chronologic, chronicling their glory from Jackie Robinson to Sandy Koufax, Kirk Gibson to Clayton Kershaw. Vin was the heartbeat of the Dodgers and in so many ways the heartbeat of all of Los Angeles. Vin passed away at the age of 94 on August 2nd, 2022. Dodgers president and CEO Stan Kasten said, we have lost an icon. Dodgers' Vin Scully was one of the greatest voices in all sports. You don't have to be kind. He was the greatest voice in all sports. He was a giant uh, of a man and not only uh, as a broadcaster, but as a humanitarian. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's brutal. That is the most iconic voice of baseball dead. Um, really tough. I mean, 94 years old. Guy lived a very historic and long life, but I know Dodger fans are probably going to be upset. And, uh, you know, like you said, just a great connection to the past, to Jackie Robinson, to Sandy Koufax, uh, to that Kirk Gibson moment, to calling Clayton Kershaw, um, really, you know, carried the Dodgers throughout Los Angeles um, when they moved from Brooklyn to L.A. So that's that's really a huge blow to the baseball community. Our guy Jaxo with the Super Chat uh, said Han trade deadline interview was good. Uh, I would. I mean, that's good. That's your opinion, Jackson, yeah. but we would push back. I didn't think that Rick Hahn said anything in that presser that we didn't expect already. The fact that he came in and said he's just as disappointed as any of us White Sox fans is bullcrap because he needs the mirror in his house to find out the person responsible for acquiring players, apparently. So he's not that mad. 
He didn't seem that pissed. He was fine. And, you know, I thought that the answers he gave were textbook. And if we're playing the bingo card like uh, Bruhan Luke had put out earlier, we'd probably get a couple in there. If we're playing drinking games, we'll be drunk by now. <laughs> he had the same stuff, the same tired answers. Didn't want to trade people. It was a seller's market. Like, didn't he know this before? You know, adjust to the market, you know? And we have some uh, information that we might share later on in the show about how the clubhouse reacted to that. But I think Rick Hahn's answers today weren't that great. And bringing it up again, Jack, so now you're making me mad again. I'm <laughs> fuck with you, Jack, so. But, yeah, the win was good, but the Rick Hahn pregame presser, ugh. Well, and I want to address that more with Vinny. Since Vinny was there, uh, I, I, we, we can listen to it. We've listened to the whole thing, um, and, and we have our own thoughts on it. But I would also like to just get a vibe from Vinny. What was it like? Um, and Vinny also wrote an article about it. You can go to allchgo.com and check it out. And he, he basically talks about the White Sox failing the trade deadline. So I, I think that Rick knew that this was a failure. I think Vinny obviously made a, a you know, basically put that into words in his article and, and we talked about it for an hour and 20 minutes how it was a failure so I, I agree with Alex it did seem like performative anger but also how could you not be angry this team was 51 and 51 before he met the media and he wasn't able to help his team that guy should be angry he didn't do his job to improve this team at the trade deadline I mean ever anyone should be angry it's probably not hard for him to be performative angry um, you know it's probably easy to dig into that but there was definitely some certain moments where you know he was asked about Tony and it was everyone's fault right yeah. so I think that there were certain things that Rick could have done better we're grading a press conference here all that matters is he failed the trade deadline I mean he could say anything that he wants to the media it's it's all about uh, actions here um, it, it is a great wing for the White Sox and uh, Brems brings this up three two one uh, and oh wait what did There's Jackson say one. I'm sorry that was a different one uh, he said I determined it was not good I appreciate that, Jackson. I'm confused. He liked I it? I mean, he did, liked he it initially, like it. and now he's like, nah. Oh, okay. I, I agree with you, Herb. <laughs> he changed his mind. All hey, right. Uh, that's what I'm here for. Bringing up, saying, uh, I think we'll win tomorrow. We're playing La Russa Ball. Uh, slept through uh, game one and then win the series. Four-game series, you lose the first two and then lull them to sleep. Uh, so the White Sox, I thought, did a great job. Uh, they really failed yesterday against Daniel Lynch. Uh, and I got to give Daniel Lynch credit, which I don't think I did yesterday. Um, his changeup was working. He got Adam Engel looking silly a couple times up there. Um, and his slider was working. And, you know, he was able to locate the fastball. Good job on Daniel Lynch. Should he have been able to do that over seven no. innings against the White Sox? Absolutely not. The fact that the White Sox tagged Brad Keller like they did, um, that was absolutely great to see. I was really worried that the White Sox possibly could have been swept with their struggles against right-handed pitching. And I know this, this is a guy that's more below average, right? They've had good games against Robbie Ray. They've had good games against um, uh, Justin Verlander, right? They've done well in certain moments against elite right-handed pitching. But Brad Keller has done well against them, like you mentioned. Uh, uh, two starts earlier, seven innings both times, and uh, really limited the White Sox to get wins. So I thought this was great, and now you just have to go out and beat Brady Singer. You have Lance Lynn, a guy that you went out and paid $18 million on the bump tomorrow, and you're going up against Brady Singer, a guy who has had a really nice season, can locate within the zone, and has had a nice game against you before. But still, this is not anything truly special. The White Sox are able to key in on certain pitches from Brady Singer. They should be able to win tomorrow. And if they are able to win two out of three against KC, it's at least a victory. You know, you at least win the series, and that's all that is important right now. And in the comments, our guy, uh, Siempre El Reyes, 55th, 
Let me get a shout out for my dog, R.I.P. Southside Poppy. Love you, Sean and Herb. So yeah, rest in peace, Dan, to your dog. Yeah, you know that's say. always a tough time when a, a, a loved one a, passes away. No matter if it's a feline, whether it's a dog or a human, it's all that's all family. So yes, rest in peace to your Southside Poppy. Well, but and, Dan, and Dan's a part of the CHGO family too. Came he out is. to the uh, the tailgate and was great to meet him out there. So yeah, definitely a R.I.P. to to Southside Poppy. What were you saying? I, but yeah, they should feel like Brady Singer early in the year. Like we were really pissed because that that time I think he shut us down, and then like two or three starts after that, he got sent down to the minors because the Royals were like this is trash. Um, but he's had a pretty good year. He's turned into the pitcher that I think the Royals have seen the potential in. He was a number one pick, I think, out of Florida a couple years ago. And so, yeah, he has a filthy slider. He locked up the White Sox the first time he faced them. Now I think this team hopefully can take this and what they learned from Brad Keller, who I think is a better overall pitcher, even though the numbers don't say so this year, and go and apply it to Brady Singer tomorrow morning versus the Royals. Because two out of three is minimum, mm-hmm. absolute minimum. Losing to Brady Singer and the Royals – Tomorrow is unacceptable for them, and they need to find a way to scratch over more runs than what Lance Lynn and the bullpen are going to give up. Whatever that is, is necessary tomorrow. I don't know if they're going to hit Brady Singer extra hard or do things that they need to do. Just one run, two runs, three runs, and my our uh, starting pitcher and our bullpen gives up less. That's the way to do it. Right, and it wasn't like Lucas dazzled today. We can look Ooh, at the starting no, pitching sir. lines, and we can go into the starts here by, uh, by Lucas. Um, he went... Two, uh, not two innings. My, my thing, for some reason, didn't update. Uh, he went five innings, five hits, two earned runs, three walks, and seven Ks. Now, for Lucas, honestly, pretty decent. Eight runners uh, in five innings of work for him this year. That's decent. Uh, Brad Keller today, five and two-thirds, eight earned runs, 13 hits allowed, one <laughs> walk, three Ks. They hit the shit out of Brad Keller, which is awesome to say. But, Lucas, what would you see tonight, Herb? Good, but that one inning where he's walking the yard. I think he walked three in that inning mm-hmm. and gave up those two runs. And Had about 29 pitches in that inning. Exactly, and that's what drove up his pitch count, which made him only go five innings. But I, we were wondering, I was wondering myself, was he going to get out the fourth inning himself? And he did, and then got through the fifth inning. And I asked you, he was like, hey, uh, do you stretch him out for the sixth inning? I know he's at 100 pitches. like, no, nah, he's at 100. He's done right there. It's a good outing. Not a great outing. It's decent, but this is a step in the right direction. It's a weird thing to say about a guy that should be better than this. I expect more out of Lucas Giolito. Five innings and seven strikeouts. I mean, five innings, terrible. Seven strikeouts, awesome. The three walks, terrible. Two earned runs, awesome. But we need pitchers, starting pitchers especially, to go minimum six innings. And if you're at the top of the rotation like Lucas Giolito, I expect more from, from than six innings. You should be better than you are right now. So a decent start. I'm grading him on a curve because he's been so poor this right. last couple months. So I'll take it. But he has to step his game up. And I'm sure Vinny's speaking to him right now. And he feels the same. He feels that he can't do that. And I think you said during the game, he's like, he's down to two pitches. He can't get the slider over. He's doing changeup fastball, and his fastball right now is not popping the mitt at like 95, 96. Occasionally, he can get up there, but he's sitting what 93. 
Yeah, uh, sitting 92.9, so basically, yeah, 93. Uh, that's basically where he's been this entire year, so the pitch velocity isn't up. But, yeah, I mentioned to Corey Friedman, he asked, like, what's kind of wrong with Giolito? And I, I know that people have tried to figure it out, right? I, I don't know if I truly know, but it does feel like it's just a whole issue with his pitches. Uh, last year, his slider was very good. It got very good numbers, very good run value. I think it was in the negative this year. I think it's around like an actual like six positive, um, which is her- terrible to see. And you see tonight, throws 18 sliders. And uh, Steven, we can go to the pitch breakdown here. Um, 18 sliders, got nine swings on those. Only one of them were swung, uh, uh, swung at and missed. Um, so wow. an 11% whiff rate, not wow. good. Um, we talked about this. I mean, only one whiff and one called strike, which is horrible, That's 6%. Terrible. Um, and then, just like we talked about with Brad Keller's pitches, 11 foul balls and 11 put in play, Lucas Giolito, four foul balls, four put in play, you only got one swing and miss. That just tells me that people, and hitters specifically, if we're being specific about the type of people, um, the hitters, <laughs> I think, can really just cross it off when, when he throws it. Um, he, he's really throwing it to one side and one side only, and I don't think it has the zip to really deceive people that it's a fastball, right? That's what Dylan Cease's slider has really turned into. He's throwing it harder, and it gives that deception of this is a fastball, and he's locating it in great great spots. Um, Giolito's command isn't the best of that slider, and it also just isn't as sharp and isn't as fast. So guys just aren't biting on that slider. They see that from the whole time from his hand, slider, 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 slider. His changeup in fastball, good, but the issue that I think with those two pitches is the fastball velocity is usually 95, Yeah, right? You're just creating and tricking that gap. We heard about that so much in 2019 and 2020, and even in 2021, that when he's having success, it's because he has that 15-mile-per-hour differential between the changeup and fastball. And that is a game of inches, right? You're in a game of inches. Those miles per hour just make and depend if that guy's late or, or early, and mm-hmm. that just creates more weak contact, creates more swings and misses. Lucas doesn't have that velocity. He doesn't have a third pitch to bail him out. I am concerned. And I think that uh, changeup when it gains velocity or it's faster, it has less movement. And it, he has a little tailing action to left-handers, and it goes into right-handers. And it was working today. It looked good. Yeah, if a slider's not working, guys can just sit fastball changeup and pick pick a spot in the, on the plate, pick a, a pitch he wants to hang, uh, hit, and then just choose. Okay, Lucas, you can't get that slider over. I'm going to sit fastball inside. Go ahead and try to throw it over. Cool. 93? Delicious. <laughs> Crushed. <laughs> Crushed. Absolutely. And Clark bringing up uh, G. Lito's pace is off uh, and is signaling breaking balls and, and affecting control. Uh, the pace is interesting, too, because he's one of the slowest workers in all of baseball. Um, so I do wonder, you saw Keller, Keller standing on the bump, ready, really forcing Aloy to get in that box and go. Obviously, we're talking about Brad Keller, who got lit the hell up tonight. But I do wonder if pace would change that. I think Clark brings up a good point. And we see Lucas really laboring on the mound. I mean, he did throw almost 30 pitches in that inning, but Brad Keller's not sweating that damn much. Lucas is pouring As sweat. a dude who loves to sweat, or don't love to sweat, but sweats a lot, I look at Lucas like, God damn, man, calm the fuck down. Like, dripping sweat from his brim. Like, he's working hard, but as you were saying with pace and we're talking here, it's a, it, it matters. If you don't give the hitter too much time, if you give him too much time to get in there and settle in, he's thinking that, okay, he's not confident in the pitches he's throwing. That's one thing, and I'll bring up Mark Burley again, that he had. He didn't have 
electric stuff. He didn't great stuff. He had pinpoint control, and he got the ball and threw it. Man. So you weren't ready. You didn't know what Mark Burley was going to have. So I think Lucas should employ some of that into his game. Maybe not lose all his mechanics, lose all the, the uh, repeatable motions, but get the ball, get the sign, go. I mean, the better, the faster you are, the pace, I think the better you are in the game because it seems confident that you know what you're going to throw and you don't care if they hit it, if, if they take a swing at it. Seems like if you take the ball and hold it for longer, it's like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to throw that slider in here. Last time I got hit pretty hard. You know, it seemed unconfident. You study long, you study wrong. And uh, thank you, Alex, for the correction there. He threw 40 pitches uh, in that third inning. I thought it was 29, so my bad on that. We got two Super Chats real quick. Dodo says, although the deadline was extremely disappointing, if Diekman can throw strikes, Han turned a guy we were about to DFA into a top-tier lefty. I agree. Uh, I mean, you look at his success in Oakland. Um, I, I think that also a lot of his problems so far have been in July mainly. I like Jake Diekman before the season. I think that it was a good addition, especially exactly like you said. You turned Zach Collins into Reese McGuire into Jake Diekman. That helps the team. It was a nice little flip there. And our guy Jared said, it's been a long, hard day, boys. Got to enjoy the wins when they come. Uh, God bless you guys for covering this team so objectively. We try. You, I don't Jared. know if we do uh, the best job of being objective because I screamed my head off yesterday uh, after they lost. The best way to support CHGO <laughs> and this objectiveness is to download the PointsBet app and use code CHGO when you sign up. If you do that right now, you get two risk-free bets up to $2,000. That's not it. If you make $50 or more first-time deposit, you'll receive a free CHGO membership, which unlocks all of our web content, and you'll even get a free shirt of your choice from a CHGO locker. That's $2,000 in free bets, a free CHGO membership, and a free T-shirt from a CHGO locker, all for making more than a $50 first-time deposit. At PointsBet, right now is a great time to sign up for that free CHGO membership because with that free CHGO membership, you get access to our written content. And Vinny Duber, who's joining us from Guaranteed Rate Field in just a second, just put out a great new article about the White Sox trade deadline. So now is a perfect time to take advantage of the code CHGO when you sign up with the PointsBet app. And if you make a $50 or more first-time deposit, you'll receive a free CHGO membership. So what are you waiting for? It's time to elevate your live betting game. Once the game starts, don't just bet. Live your bet life at PointsBet. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER for crisis counseling and referral services. And our next partner, Chicago's Sports fans, your home for the best Chicago sports coverage is partnering with a leader in the sports, mer sports merchandise and collectibles world. CHGO has teamed up with FOCO to secure your access to the best collectibles and gear around. Whether it's Bears, Cubs, White Sox, Blackhawks, Bulls, FOCO will have something for you, your kid, a friend, or loved one. If you're looking for some new gears, collectibles, or accessories, FOCO has officially licensed gear for men, women, and kids with everything from bobbleheads to swimsuits to Crocs. FOCO has you covered with the best Chicago merchandise of your favorite team. So head on to FOCO.com, F-O-C-O.com, and the link is also in the YouTube description below. And for, non all, and for all non presale items, use the promo code CHGO for 10% off. Again, for all non presale items, use the code CHGO for 10% off at FOCO, F-O-C-O dot com. All right, let's head out to Guaranteed Rate Field and talk to Vinny Duber. He is the CHGO White Sox beat writer, and you can follow him on Twitter at Vinny Duber. Hello, Rocky Mountain High, John Denver. Hi, guys. How are you? I'm still trying to wrap my head around the use of the word objective in that super chat. I'm a little confused by that, but that's all right. <laughs> you, you, you do the objective job, and we around this side. Um, so let's talk about Rick Hahn. Uh, he met the media after a trade, uh, a trade deadline today. Um, you described it how in your article for people who haven't read it, because I thought it was a, good, uh, a great job of uh, describing it. Yeah, I mean, overall, I, 
I don't think I've seen him uh, this way in a press conference since uh, the day Manny Machado signed with the Padres way back in 2019. I mean, this was a um, a visibly frustrated Rick Hahn. He uh, was counting the number of times that he almost swore on TV uh, while in, you know throughout his press conference there today. Uh, he described himself as being in a crap mood. Um, he obviously wanted to get some stuff done and didn't, uh, you know, and and. Uh, you know, he admitted as such, um, you know, in my opinion, and I think in probably the White Sox opinion, too, this was this was a failure. You know, this was this was not what they were supposed to do. This was not what they wanted to do at the trade deadline. They had a number of needs that they needed to address, uh, and they addressed one of them kind of. So, uh, you know. Jake Diekman could turn out to be great. This is no offense to him, um, but uh, he by himself is not the boost that this team needed. Now, of course, uh, all this doom and gloom around a very inactive trade deadline, or I shouldn't say inactive, but uh, a, a trade deadline that was short on moves, short on converted moves uh, for the White Sox, and they go out there and crush the Royals 9-2, <laughs> to hit, hit a couple of home runs, and uh, the offense is back, obviously. But, um, you know, it's all about doing it consistently, as we've been talking about all year. And nothing that happened today at the trade deadline would lead you to believe that um, – there's been any sort of fixes made in terms of getting toward that consistency. Uh, the uh, solution that has been offered for the last four months is waiting for these guys to play up to their potential, and that still seems to be the number one solution. Again, not that that's a, that big of a surprise. I think that I said before the trade deadline even happened that the onus was going to be mostly on the guys who were still here to turn this thing around, but you thought there was going to be some help. And, uh, you know, the last offensive performance before the trade deadline was one run against the last place Royals. Um, it, the offense looked like it needed some help. Tonight it didn't. And, and perhaps tonight is a harbinger of things to come, or perhaps it's another mirage, which we've seen a, a few times throughout the year. Uh, but when Jake Diekman is the only move that you make as a supposed contender, I'm not even saying supposed. They're two games out of first place, guys. I mean, right. they are as much a contender in this division as anybody is. Um, when the only move you make is one reliever, and, and that's not even to compare it to the Twins. The Twins had a nice day today, but it's not even to compare it to the Twins. It's just to compare it individually. One reliever is not going to get it done when when you're trying to to make you know to make the playoffs to win the division and uh, so we'll see where they go from here. Obviously, a lot of good vibes in that clubhouse tonight with with what uh, happened in the game. But from the standpoint of the trade deadline, uh, it was it was a it was a, a big time F. And uh, if you're giving out a grade and uh, the season is in danger of being that, I think it would be up to this point just based on what the expectations were. Um, if things don't change over the next two months, uh, obviously that grade is going to stay the same. And I read uh, Rick Hahn's press conference and listening to it as, yeah, he's sad that he didn't get any help for the offense or anything like that. But he believes, and I think in his heart of hearts, he wants to, you know, go down with the ship. Like these guys, if they perform at the highest level, will be fine. That's what I got because the second answer he gave to that initial answer was, you know, more importantly, you know, I believe that these guys, if they turn into the guys that they are, I believe in them. Do you think that he kind of went into the trade deadline thinking that like, you know what? I would love to get some people here, but you know what? We also have enough firepower here to get the job done. So I won't go wild with a trade that will, you know, maybe marginally improve the team. 
I don't know if that's true. I think, again, I'm going to use a favorite saying of mine, which is I think multiple things can be true, right? And I think that you can believe if you're Rick Hahn or if you're a White Sox fan or, you know, an, an objective observer, as we all apparently are, um, it, you know, if you can believe that this team is capable of, of, of winning the division, of making the playoffs, of competing for a championship, perhaps even if they really turn it on here, obviously, uh, that's what would be required. But you can look at this roster and say, yeah, those guys, if they're healthy, sure, why not? And also at the same time, you can say, well, I've la watched the last four months and it'd be nice to, to get some new life in here. I think you can, I think you can reasonably think both of those things. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if Rick Hahn did think both of those things. Uh, you know, this is uh, a front office and a team brass in general that has been basically telling us for the last four months, we believe we're confident in those guys. Look at these guys. They're our guys. These guys who have done this before, right? Um, the, these are the guys that you were so excited about watching when the season started that you thought could make a championship roster. It's the same guys. Um, that's true. It is the same guys. Uh, but for four months, it hasn't worked out that way. We'll see if something changes. Uh, certainly, it's, it's possible um, you know, we, we shouldn't uh, be buying in uh, buying any stock based on just one win over the Royals, certainly. But um, listen, I think you can have a team that is capable in a vacuum of, of performing the way that they are supposed to perform um, and also think that today was was an opportunity lost, which is what it seems Rick Hahn thought both of those things were. What was the vibe in the clubhouse player-wise before the game? You say after the game, after the win, you know, usually they're up and excited, but was it just a normal day at the clubhouse or was it kind of this looming thing with the trade deadline at 5 p.m. right before the game? When you're on a team that is clearly buying, I think that you are much more at ease uh, during the trade deadline, right? Because uh, good things should be happening to your to your roster. There, you know what I mean? I think you look to the other side of town and we heard how kind of stressful a week or a couple of weeks it's been for some of those guys on that Cub team in that Cub clubhouse, which is kind of hard to say, because um, they have been mentioned in trade rumors for the last month and they didn't know where they were going to be playing tomorrow. Um, when you're the White Sox, again, not to, to say that they think uh, everything's sunshine and, and rainbows in there, but, uh, you know, the, the idea is that they're buying. The idea is that the front office is looking to make some additions, some moves. So I think you watch with a little bit of excitement. Um, certainly, Lucas Giolito, who we talked to after the game, basically said that today was kind of unlike any other or was kind of like any other day for them uh, with the exception of what was going on on TV, right? Watching and, and being baseball fans and, and seeing everybody going everywhere, not, you know, uh, oh, our mood is going to drastically change based on what the front office does to our team or not. Because um, you got to remember that these guys are, you know, almost by job description, confident in themselves and believe that they can do uh, whatever they can, uh, they can with whoever's in the room. Um, I asked a question of Lucas and, uh, which was, you know, we kept hearing for a week or two now guys saying, oh, it's such a big confidence boost when we get a guy in here, when they get when they make these moves. It's a vote of confidence from the front office that they believe that we can go do this and they're going to give us the help to do it. And I asked, well, when things don't pan out, uh, is that also kind of a unifying force, you know, kind of a like, all right, it's us. This is it. We got to do it. Uh, you know, the, nobody's coming in uh, to help us, to save us, uh, you know, again, not through lack of trying, but just through sheer results. And uh, is this a way to maybe buckle down? I, I think that that's possible. You know, I'm no psychologist, but uh, his answer was basically just like, yeah, they, 
you know, the same as we've been hearing, which is they believe in themselves and they just got to get it together here and, and, and they can be uh, uh, just as good as they thought they could be here for the last couple of months. How did Lucas Giolito feel about his outing? We thought that he was a two-pitch pitcher for the most part and it was fine, but uh, what do you say about his outing? Yeah, good, not great. You know, he, he was very displeased that he only went five innings, displeased that he had uh, an inning that started with two walks, displeased that he had an inning where he threw 40 pitches. Um, but I think he looks at the results and says, okay, that's, that's, this, is a good, this is a good step. You know, it's something to be happy with. He gave all the credit, obviously, to the offense, uh, and, and certainly that was the story uh, of the game this evening. But uh, listen, Lucas has uh, struggled, obviously, throughout this whole season uh, to have a start where he uh, only, go, only gives up two runs. Not bad. Yeah, I wonder now going to the manager side, is it unusual for Tony not to address the media before the game? Uh, That was uh, a bunch of do about nothing. Um, The idea basically was... Tony normally talks at, what, around 4 o'clock or something like that uh, before a 7 o'clock game. That's one hour before the trade deadline. Um, The idea being that... um, all of his talk on hypotheticals would probably not really apply to anything uh, that would happen over the course of the following hour. And we heard him uh, say today uh, in the postgame press conference that, that the front office was working on stuff up until the very, you know, last minutes before the trade deadline. So let's say Rick pulls off something unexpected there at uh, uh, 4.59. Everything we just heard from Tony uh, suddenly goes out the window. That is not unusual. And I think mostly from my standpoint, we've been asking Tony about Luis Robert for the past four or five days. uh, And every time he gives an answer of he's not comfortable speaking on, on the medical matters and stuff like that. So I didn't want to really ask him about that again. I didn't want to hear him have that uh, have right. that response again. I don't think he really wanted to give it again. Rick Hahn was going to be able to give us the update. Let's just hear from Rick. Well, what was the update? <laughs> you led right into that one. <laughs> so obviously, Luis Robert is back. He's off the injured list uh, as of uh, a pregame tonight. He was, you know, on the active roster for tonight's game. Uh, but we heard from Rick Hahn that he wasn't really going to be uh, available to play. He would maybe be eligible to play was the word that Rick used uh, tomorrow. Sounded like Tony is still uh, uh, deciding whether Luis will play in tomorrow's game. If he does, he'll be the DH. So said Tony after the game today. Um, the symptoms are gone. Uh, it was a, still a relatively mysterious uh, cause. Uh, the best that Rick could offer was the effects of a virus um, that caused some vitamin deficiencies that might have caused the symptoms that put Luis on the injured list. Um, I'm not going to play doctor, so that's uh, the, 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 the most I'm going to give you on the medical front right there. Um, but mostly confidence that they're not going to pop back up. They are completely gone, Rick said. Otherwise, they wouldn't have brought him back uh, this soon or this at this time, I should say. Um, whether he plays tomorrow night is still, or tomorrow during the day, uh, is still to be decided. But Luis Robert is off the injured list. We are celebrating August Abreu with a home run off the fair pole today. And it looks like Aloy Jimenez is not only coming, he's here. Now, this is the thing that we've been talking about. Hitting the ball in the air, hitting the ball hard. Did Tony speak about, you know, finally out-homering the team and hitting a couple balls over the fence and then putting on some big-time runs against these Royals as they should? Yeah, well, talking about Aloy, he called them, you know, very much a difference maker, right? That for for you know, what was it, months, it was, it was you know, oh, Aloy's back, we can't wait to get him, or we can't wait for Aloy to come back, but we'll win with what we have. 
you know, he likes he likes having the full roster at, at his at his disposal, obviously, especially when it contains a talent like a lawyer, a talent like Luis Robert. Um, so he's happy to have him back, obviously. Uh, and he's on fire right now. Uh, Aloy is hitting the ball really, really well. Um, we're going to see, obviously, uh, how long he can keep it going. You remember last year when he came off the injured list, there was a real hot stretch there for a bit, and then he cooled off in a, in a dramatic fashion. Uh, if he can stay hot, that's going to go a long way toward the White Sox being able to accomplish what they are trying to accomplish, again, without the reinforcements that the trade deadline normally offers a contender. Well, as Rick said, he's a simple man. Team go far, ball go far, or ball go far, team go far. Uh, ball went far today. Uh, what was the response that you got when asking about the offensive philosophy? I thought it was a great question. Um, if you could just bring that to the, the audience now. Yeah. So, I mean, basically it was, you know, uh, this has been this. I mean, listen, he, uh, you guys aren't the only ones that have that have noticed this. Uh, Rick himself was complaining uh, or, or lamenting, I should say, during his press conference about you know guys pressing and guys chasing pitches and and not having good at bats. Um, and so I asked, you know, are they receiving the correct instruction? And if the answer is yes, which of course I expected him to say yes to, you know, because. Um, Every time we hear from Frank Menachino or, or Tony La Russa about the, what they want the offense to do, it always sounds good, right? It, it never sounds wrong. It just uh, ends up uh, not working out on the field this season. Uh, and I asked him if the case is that you're happy with the instruction, are the, is, are the guys not listening? Are they not taking it well? Are they not allowing themselves to be coached? Um, and basically the answer was, uh, yeah, the philosophy is the right one. Uh, it's worked in the past. Uh, it pointed to a lot of these same players having success with this same philosophy coming from this same hitting coach uh, who they've had over the last couple seasons. Um, right now it's obviously not working. And uh, he basically pointed to what I said, I believe, yesterday when, when talking about kind of when this, uh, you know, solution finally uh, results in some major changes if needed. Uh, and he kind of uh, said that right now is not the time. It hasn't reached that point yet. Um, maybe the offseason is the time when that comes around. That's what I would speculate, but that's just speculation. Uh, certainly, you would think that if it if they believed that a correction would have helped them earlier in the year, they would have done it. Uh, and, I, you know, I'm, I'm not saying it out loud here, but I will specify, you know, a job change for right. one of the uh, uh, coaching staff uh, if that if they would have thought that that would have helped, they would have done it by now. They haven't, and so obviously they think that they're on the right that they're on that they're on the right track and getting the uh, the the work that they want out of the coaching staff right now. Uh, perhaps come the end of the season, they will uh, reflect and and feel differently. Uh, but certainly they have two more months to uh, of of data to collect on that if if that's when they're deciding to make that decision. Saw two good bullpen performances. Actually, four good bullpen performances, but I want to focus on two of them. Joe Kelly with another scoreless outing. Didn't strike anybody out, but the movement on his sinker was filthy. And then the debut, the White Sox debut of Mr. Diekman. Awesome. It sliders for days. He looks Chris Sale-esque out there in that black uniform. What do you guys think about and what did Tony think about the debut of Diekman and then Joe Kelly continued to progress? And, and rocking Carlos Rodon's number 55, too, by the way. But uh, maybe that's only reserved for lefties. I don't know. But uh, 
Yeah, Deegan looked great. And I think, obviously, you know, you got to keep in mind that these were the Kansas City Royals they were going up against. Uh, and, and a Kansas City Royals team without Quit Merrifield, uh, who was uh, dealt to Toronto earlier today. But uh, Did you see the uh, the lineup that they showed where it was the last time Whit Merrifield uh, didn't play in a game versus the White Sox? It had old friend John Jay and old friend, um, now I'm blanking on the name because he's such a guy, oh, Ryan Goins. Wow, there you go. Some some Royals and White Sox of old. Uh, but, some royalty. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, Digman, listen, Digman looked good. They they need they didn't need uh, they didn't need him. I mean, this is a, a team that has been without Garrett Crochet for the entire year, without Aaron Bummer for most of it, probably uh, or certainly will be without Crochet for the rest of the year, and might even be without Bummer for the rest of the year. They needed Digman, and uh, if he's going to go ahead and pitch like that, that'll be good. He told us pregame, you know. If they want him to throw 70 times over the next uh, over the rest of the season, uh, you know, and I don't think there's that many games left, but uh, so that would be interesting. But if they want him to throw 70 times, he'll do it. He's here to pitch as much as he can uh, for this White Sox team. So uh, don't be surprised to see him called on an awful lot. Uh, you know, if the White Sox are going to uh, be, um, you know, in in a lot of close games or or you know, mount a uh, a try an attempted takeover of the Minnesota Twins here in the Central. Yeah, it seems similar to the vibe that uh, Ryan Tapera gave when he came over at the trade deadline as well. It just seemed like a guy that uh, wanted to get to work and wanted to pitch. Um, that's it for me, um, I think, unless you got something. I just had something, and it's probably nitpicky because, you know, the White Sox won, but I saw a lot of balls today that Tim Anderson couldn't handle. They were None of them were called airs, but, you know, a couple could be. Was there any discussion after the game? I know because they won, probably wasn't. That Tim Anderson, I don't know, was having some troubles in the field again? Uh, no, there was no discussion. You're correct. But uh, yeah, I mean, listen, those were noticeable, certainly. And uh, it's been something that has been noticeable throughout his career. I mean, he's, uh, I think, really kind of established himself as someone who can make a ton of really, really good plays and relatively frequently uh, will make will not make uh, certain plays. You know, I mean, this is uh, a guy who's worked really hard to improve his defense and he's probably uh, you know, a much better defender than he's been in the past. Uh, but that doesn't mean that all the, uh, you know, that everything's going to be perfect all the time. And he still has a tendency to make some of those mistakes out in the field. So obviously he would like to cut down on those. Um, but uh, I can tell you that he does his, uh, does his infield work every single day. And uh, even that even includes when he's out there sometimes at the same time as Aloy Jimenez, who he spotted at uh, third base yesterday during batting practice, doing that whole, you know, put Jose Abreu at shortstop and work on his agility thing. So it's uh, it's worked for Jose. Why not uh, try to make it work for Aloy? Hey, maybe Tony can finally find a second baseman and can put Aloy at second base, you know, less less running out in the outfield. Uh, you know, he, he wanted to put Andrew Vaughn there. Maybe he could put Aloy there. Anyways, uh, that's going to do it, uh, Vinny. Appreciate you joining us. Uh, you can follow Vinny on Twitter, at Vinny Duber. He's the CHGO White Sox beat writer, and we will speak to him tomorrow for tomorrow's game, uh, during tomorrow's post game, and see if the White Sox can uh, – Take two out of three against the Royals tomorrow at 110. Thanks, Vinny. All right, guys. See ya. And make sure to read Vinny Duber's latest article. It was fantastic. Uh, over at allchgo.com, uh, White Sox fail trade deadline putting Rick, Hop, Rick Hahn in same crap mood as fans, which he really did <laughs> during uh, the 4 and 5 p.m. hour today. We got some super chats to get to. Uh, let's go to Schwo first. Uh, 499 super chat. Thank you very much, Schwo. Uh, I know they went deep late, but the Sox hit more singles than freshmen at their first homecoming. Uh, so, congrats. Yeah, I mean, yeah, 10 singles today, 10 singles yesterday. The difference is the White Sox mixed in a double, a triple, and two home runs today. So, 
yeah, it wasn't ideal to get 10 singles. And ball, and most of those singles, as you pointed out earlier, were on the ground. And usually ground balls are outs. And if you're right. playing a certain way up the middle, those would have been outs in the first inning. But they found holes, and the White Sox scored runs. So good results doesn't necessarily mean good process. So tomorrow those balls could be GIDPs when Brady Singer's pitching. Well, the most important thing, too, the extra base hits still clearly the key. Uh, Andrew Vaughn getting to third base was a key. Scored an easy run, put pressure on on, on uh, Keller. Um, the White Sox loading the bases, although they didn't capitalize on that moment outside of Josh Harrison scoring on the sack fly, um, still put pressure and then still led to an, uh, an extra base hit. So uh, it was at least good enough. Um, I, I would like to see more extra base hits. I would like to see more line drives. I would like to see more hits that get out of the infield on a fly, but today I'll take. And right there, we're talking about Jose Abreu up with second and third, one out. Andrew Vaughn's at third base, and I think uh, uh, Yohan Moncada's at second. Balls hit sharply to the first baseman. They're drawn in. The contact play right there. Why? Why are we doing contact play, firstly, with one out? Secondly, why are we doing the, I mean, you, where else, when else are we going to do contact play? Then why are we doing with Andrew Vaughn, who's slow? And with the infield drawn in. I just don't know where the thought process is there with Tony, Joe McEwing, whatever. Andrew Vaughn can't run. Even if that, the infield's back, he's out by five feet. So I'm just confused on the game plan and moving forward. Why are we using the contact play on a guy like Jose Abreu, who's been hitting the ball, scorching all year long? All year long. So no matter what, Andrew Vaughn was going to be dead to rights if any infielder caught that ball. Yeah, and he was. He, yeah. was, he was clearly damn out. Uh, that's the 15th out at home uh, the White Sox have made. Uh, and, you know, Jason mentioning team still running the bases like a 12U travel team. And appreciate Jason uh, for the super chat boop, boop, boop. there. Uh, not only the contact play where you have Andrew Vaughn running home, uh, you also have Tim Anderson, that same Aloy hit that goes to the warning track in left field. Josh Harrison scores on. Kyle Ilsbell throws up uh, literally a Hail See. Mary. Yeah. Uh, it, was a, it was a seeking missile to the third baseman. Uh, it was a dime. It was a great throw, but it still felt like Tim was late on that jump. When you see the one replay that we got um, of the back shot of Isbell um, from, I think, the it has to be the upper deck or something because yeah. it's, it's, it's behind the fence. Um, it's like on the concourse. Right. You see that Josh Harrison is basically like maybe 50% of the way home to about 75% of the way home, and Tim's about 25% of the way to third base. Yeah. That just tells me he got a late jump, or he was he, he could have gone earlier, and he would have been safe at uh, first. It looked like he was running. It just seemed like bad timing and bad, bad base running. Yeah, because Tim, Tim is much faster than Josh Harrison as far, uh, as far as sprint speed, so he should have been, like, even if not in front of Josh and the 90 feet that is between second and third from third to home. So, yeah, we saw Josh was like 50 to 75% way away home in that same time when Tim was at 25%. So maybe a bad jump right there, but also scouting report. Isabel's got a good mm-hmm. arm, apparently. So maybe Joe McEwing, other people, understand that this good arm is not to be trifled with and – you have your big-time RBI guy coming up next, so maybe just chill out there at second base. Right, and uh, Schwo saying I was at the game. T- Tim took off to third base, then had to bet- run back to the bag to tag first. Tells you right there. Oh. 
you know, you should just be at second. If it hits off the wall, you're still probably scoring. Because, uh, I mean, Isbell was up against the wall. So it's either going to hit off the wall, you're going to score there. You're either going to be able to tag up and get to third base. Uh, or I guess you get thrown at home if Isbell has that much of a cannon, which uh, which he does. But And those things got to get cleaned up. Those The White Sox are on the margins of winning games. They're 52 and 51 right now. We've been saying it for 102 games, though. I mean, I exactly. They need to know. They need to somehow, somebody needs to get the message to them. These margins are slim for them. They're not scoring the runs that they think they can score. And in the playoffs, the margin is even slimmer. So running to outs like that on the base pass might cost you. Cost you. And if Jose Abreu's home run is just slightly to the left a little bit, it's a foul ball. He and then almost, now you got to reset again. He, he almost had him mingled that one. Yeah. And so these are the things you got to clean up. You got to clean up runs getting caught at home for the 15th time out. You got to clean up getting thrown out when you're trying to advance from second to third. And I don't know why you, I know why you're trying to advance from second to third, but Tim has more than enough speed to get the job done if Jose Abreu hits a single and if he can score from second. So it's thought process. What are you doing? Right. And, you know, they still haven't cleaned that up. And I mean, you, you mentioned Tim to Vinny, you know, he has that base running area. He has the three in the field. And you look at Josh Nelson tweeting out what he's been before May 27th, WRC plus of 164 and 38 games after May 27th in 36 games. And this was before today. Uh, Tim did go two for four today, a WRC plus of 76. So, I mean, ever since he's come back from that injury, he's not looked like the all-star. The all-star that put up 2.1 war before that May 27th mark has put up a war of 0.1. I mean, Tim Anderson needs to be better here, period. Um, you can't have those three mistakes like you did today, um, and he needs to be scoring more runs. And him making outs on the base pass like that is, is not going to lead to that. Uh, we got two more Super Chats, and we got to go to Ad Read, and then we got some interesting stuff with the White Sox and Minnesota Twins. Uh, Jarrett saying, you're not competing with the Twins in Cleveland. You're supposed to beat the Yankees, Astros, Dodgers, and Padres. Get real. Get real baby steps, Jarrett. Uh, I, I understand you're 100% right. That was the expectation for the team before the season, and they have not lived up to those expectations. And the trade deadline, they could have helped their team more. The Twins helped their team. They did not do that. And, yeah, as Sean said, we have to adjust the expectations because we all know that this team's not winning the World Series. Put money on it. Bet money down. Right. I feel still they're going to win the AL Central because um, the other teams are just trash. Even though the Twins did get better today, I don't think they're that overwhelmingly much better than the White Sox. Unless they have an offensive run like 2020, if they have the, a crazy 60-game stretch like yeah. they did throughout of all of 2020, yeah. then maybe. Yeah. But they got to continue that through the playoffs, and I just don't see that happening. They don't have enough pitching help, no. especially healthy pitching help. And so we have to adjust our expectations to go to the Cleveland Guardians and the Minnesota Twins. They're going to beat those guys. And once they get bowed out in the first round of the playoffs, we'll come on here and say this season was a failure. Yeah. An absolute failure. We're not on the level. We're not supposed to be on the level of the Twins and the Guardians. We're supposed to be way past those people. That's half the reason why I think the Guardians didn't even do anything. It's like, we weren't even supposed to be in second place. We're happy as hell where we are right now. It's, this shit is awesome. We've got, <laughs> we're winning. We've got, uh, we're playing with house money right now. The twins are like, oh, we're trying to win this AL Central because fuck the White Sox. But... We're supposed to be competing with the with the Yankees, the Astros, the Dodgers, and the Padres, who are I mean, you got now exactly who the White Sox should be. And yes, they're twelve games behind the Dodgers. But goddamn, tell tell me, tell me you didn't feel excited for Padres and Padres fans today when they went out and did the damn thing today. 
went and executed a plan that they had to have this player. Now they have three superstars on their team. Mm-hmm. Mm. And a great pitching staff to go with it. Decent. Uh, and we got one more final one, and this is the correct take from Baseball Toss. If Dylan Cease doesn't win the Cy Young, I will riot. Thank you, Baseball Toss. I agree. And then add another Cy 99 Cease. cents uh, super chat just to emphasize that he'll riot. Yeah, I don't know if that was a mistake. I don't know if the 99 cents one was like a test one that he didn't send. Uh, so then he had to follow up with another one. We appreciate it, Baseball Toss. Uh, and I have to tell you guys about Owen. It stands for only what you need. I would have needed a White Sox trade. I needed a White Sox left-handed bat, a new White Sox left-handed bat, like Herb needs his Owen. There you go. Herb ran out. Herb got an Owen. He got the dark chocolate, the 20% one. You like it? Oh, it's good. It's there delicious. Go. It's a snack. It says it right on the thing. It's mm-hmm. a snack. It's a snack. It's a 100% pl- uh, plant-based protein shake that gives you nutrition that works as hard as you do. And all of their products are free of artificial ingredients. They're allergen-friendly. There's no gluten or dairy. They're easily digestible. We got sent the um, like the, the next-level chocolate and vanilla ones. So ours had 32 grams of protein in those. But we also got the same 20-gram protein ones that had the salted caramel and the strawberry banana. Herb's got dark chocolate there, right? I do. Taste different than the chocolate? Uh, I didn't really try, taste the chocolate one when I okay. first said it. it just tastes delicious. That's Very what well. it tastes. So if you want delicious, 100% plant-based pr- protein shake that even Chicago Bears fa- uh, quarterback Justin Fields uh, drinks, he follows a plant-based diet, head over to Owen, liveowen.com, L-I-V-E-O-W-Y-N.com, where Owen and CHGO have partnered up to get you an awesome offer. You can get 20% off your first purchase at liveowen.com. That's L-I-V-E-O-W-Y-N.com. And with code CHGO20, you can get 20% off your first purchase, again, at liveowen.com. Join me, Herb, and Justin Fields, and try Owen. It is only what you need. All right, let's talk quickly about the Twins. Uh, I want to go to Carlos Correa first. Let's get a setup here. Carlos Correa can possibly... and. Baseball toss, jumping in with another super chat. Also, RIP Vin Scully. Yeah, we mentioned that earlier at the top of the show, uh, but a horrible loss for the baseball world. Let's go to Carlos Correa here. Um, he has the option to opt out of his contract at the end of the year, but it seemed like he was very um, involved with the Twins trade deadline. They were active. They got Jorge Lopez uh, from the Orioles, an all-star closer. They got Michael Fulmer from the Tigers, who was an eighth-inning high-leverage guy. And then they also ended up getting somebody else, and now I'm completely blanking. Cool. Um, didn't they get oh, a hitter? They got a catcher from uh, the I, – I blinked out too. But, yes, they got somebody. I forgot. Oh, Sandy Leone? Yeah, Sandy. I feel like they had one more player too. No? Tyler Malley. Thank you. Uh, yeah. And starting pitcher, Tyler Malley. That was a long the time most, ago. Uh, it's been a long day for you. You guys, one. you've been here since like 1. Yeah, one thirty. Um, but, God. yeah, so Malley, Jorge Lopez, and uh, Michael Fulmer were the additions to the Twins. Let's go to Carlos Correa, who spoke about that before the game. And then before they lost 5-3, by the way. You know, as a player, you, you want to feel like the front office um, is putting the best product on the field to help you win a championship. And, you know, so far during this deadline, we feel like they're doing that. They're giving us a, ch- a better chance to go out there and compete with the best of them. So I'm um, very happy by the two acquisitions so far today. And shout out to Will M in the chat for pointing that out. Um, he also had a message to the, uh, the the team as well saying Jose Miranda was untouchable and he needs to be in this franchise for a long time. So he spoke up about who he wants to see in this franchise. So you see Carlos Correa um, possibly giving a little bit of a tip here that he might be staying in Minnesota nope. and also said that uh, him and Rocco Baldelli had conversations about Jorge Lopez uh, and they end up going out and getting Lopez. So I think that's very interesting. You hear Correa say that it's a boost when you get guys like that. Um, they're 
putting the best product on the field to win a championship. And so far they did that throughout the deadline. So, uh, you know, Correa is a happy guy in Minnesota. They did a great job going out and, and helping their team. The White Sox got Jake Diekman. Yeah. I need to call points bet and put a bet on Carlos Correa taking the option the day after <laughs> the, the Minnesota Twins are eliminated. Like, the day after. I wish they set that up because he's doing it. I don't... I know good words, awesome words from Carlos Correa. Loves Miranda, talking to Rocco Baldelli. That man is ghost right after this. He gonna feel a little of that cold from Minnesota. Like, man, son, I'm out. <laughs> I'm G day. Like, there's a nice market for shortstops, and he can be at the top of them. Him, Trey Turner. I think uh, Xander Bogarts is there, mm-hmm. so he could be at the top of that and cash in on one of these guys who misses Trey Turner, or he could be the guy. Like the Cubs were in on him last year, and he can get the same amount of deal in some other more favorable, more uh, excitable, more marketable city like Chicago. Go out to one of the New Yorks. I don't know. I mean, they already got both uh, shortstops covered there. Well. Well, Yankees, Yankees necessarily don't have it, um, no. but they can go somewhere else. The, L- the L.A. Dodgers are probably going to lose Trey Turner. He can go back out to L.A. Hell, he can go anywhere he wants to. The last place I expect him next April is it back in Minnesota. Now, yeah, I, can Minnesota I- can re-sign him, but I think he's going to get out of that deal that he's in right now and re-up like you were talking about with uh, Jacob DeGrom getting out of his deal. I think Carlos Correa can get another deal for three years and $120 million this time. I think there's four other teams that you could put. I think they're definitely not the, the last team he would go to because I think that he probably wouldn't go to Kansas City. They're not offering him money. He's not going to Cleveland. They're not offering him money. He's not going to Detroit because they offered all their money to Javi Baez, and he's sure as hell not coming here. So at least out of the AL Central, he's, they got the best odds of retaining him. And I, I think they've done right by him. I mean, oh, the yeah. fact that you do this makes a guy probably want to stay. It's, so And maybe Minnesota... Spends the money. Maybe they spend the money on this guy. I mean, they spent the money on him to get him, right. and no one expected him to end up in Minnesota this season. So he got a smart deal where he gets the opt-out of this year and next year. I think he'll opt out, and he might like Minnesota, but wants a little bit more money to stay there. You know, he won't give the hometown discount to Minnesota just because he likes the atmosphere and they might win the AL Central, and Rocco Buddell is a good dude. He might want to say, hey, give me more money out here because I'm still in my prime. I just signed with you because of the lockout, and you guys are giving me this premium money. But now I have 29 other teams that want my services maybe, and I got the full market out there instead of just a shortened period of uh, signing for a month after the lockout ends. Uh, I got distracted by Raul Green uh, saying, I remember Vince Gully called a no-hitter in 1984 at Comiskey Park, Tigers and White Sox. Jack Morris, no-hitter on Channel 5. Um that guy had a, such a long life. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's insane. Uh, sorry, I, I got completely distracted by the Vince Scully fact there. Um, yeah, I, I think this deadline clearly was a failure for the White Sox. We see Vinny write it. We see Rick Hahn's disappointment. We're going to get to a Rick Hahn clip in just a second. Um, and I want to talk mainly about now what this team is dealing with, right? Okay. They didn't get anybody. We know that. We went our, we're all pissed off and shocked at our MLB trade deadline special. So we got to know what this team is. You got 59 games left. And this is really the only thing that I thought that Rickon offered up to them changing something or, or, or what the White Sox will do for the last 59 games to try to improve their standings, because this is the roster that they have. They are confident in this roster, but 
they can still make some changes. So our guy Vinny Duber asked the question. Rick Hahn followed it up with his answer, and then we'll be back in about a minute. You mentioned the offense, and you know these guys are they are they receiving what in your mind is the correct philosophy offensively? And and if they are, if your answer is yes, are they not listening to it, or are they not being co- are they not allowing themselves to be coached? I mean, look, in terms of messaging, we had the same hitting coach we had in 2020 when we were winning those silver sluggers, the same hitting coach processes as last year when we were fourth in the league and weighted runs created. Sorry, no need to answer that. It's too late. Uh, Which was affected both of those last two years with essentially the same group. If we get to the point where we feel like, for whatever reason, the message is wrong or the communication is wrong or there's a failure to execute a plan, and then we got to get to the bottom of what's the blame for that and make an adjustment. At this time, again, we believe in the players and the staff, and this is in our capabilities over the next two months to at least get us into the postseason and then make some noise. That's what their plan is. For the next two months to get in the postseason and make some noise. Now, Herb, I don't know what you take away from that, but him mentioning the White Sox success in 2020 and 2021, kind of backing up or hyping up Frank Minichino doesn't do much for me. No, it's dumb. Like, what have you done for me lately? Like, you are going to give him shine in those years. You were talking about Frank Minichino actively in 2020 and actively in 2021 saying, man, look at what's going on. Our team is doing this, that, and the other. Now you're not going to give him criticism on the other side? What's going on? Like, you can't have it both ways. You got to keep that same intensity when Frank Minichino and his offense is struggling. I take that comment as I can't fire Frank in the middle of the year because this is some dumb edict that our owner has. So if they don't do well at the end of the year, I'll do it with Frank Minichino the way I need to. Well, and also it's just bullshit. What he just told you is complete bullshit. Um, Frank Minichino, this is the teams that he's coached and they're ranking in home runs. 2014, 24th. 2015, 29th. 2016, 29th. 2017, where Giancarlo hit, Stanton hit 59 home runs. That guy didn't need a hitting coach. They were only 19th. In 2018, they were 30th. In 2020, the White Sox were third. In 2021, they're 19th. And in 2022, they're 24th. Frank Minichino told you the plan on April 26th. We've been going over this the past couple podcasts. They're getting slider to death. They're getting slider to death. They're getting slider to death. We need to walk more. That was said on April 26th. And since April 26th, the White Sox have the lowest walk rate in Major League Baseball. And the White Sox have not seen anything or forced teams to throw anything but sliders. They have faced the second most sliders of any team in Major League Baseball, the Toronto Blue Jays being the only team that's seen more. So, Rick, I think you're just spewing bullshit, to be honest with you, because exactly what Herb is saying. This guy cannot be fired. This guy either is being protected by Tony La Russa or is being protected by Jerry Reinsdorf. I don't understand what's going on here. He said, ball go far, team go far. Your hitting coach has never proven that he can make that ball go far. I'm a simple guy. Ball goes far, team goes far. Thank you. Um, Very, very simple. I'm very, very simple as well. The results aren't happening. You didn't add to this team. I don't see things turning around. You had a nice little reprieve here, right? You hit two home runs tonight. But what happens if you go out against Brady Singer tomorrow 
don't hit any home runs, you lose four to three, and you're back at 500 for the 19th fucking time this year. Yeah, I could feel that happening. And there was a lot of globalizing when specific questions were asked. Hey, what do you feel about your specific manager and your coaches? Do you think they're failing this year because the team is 500? Everybody's failing. Globalizing, everybody's failing. I didn't ask you that, Rick. I asked you specifically about your manager and your coaches. You don't want to give them criticism? Cool. But don't ever give them credit then because it sounds contrived. It sounds inauthentic. If you're not going to be that person that's going to be talking about them in public when they're failing, don't, give them, don't gas them up in public either. Just say everybody's doing well. Don't say Frank Minichino's doing well when he is. If you ain't going to give him a failure right now because the team as a whole, offensively, failing. That's 100%. Still, now our home run leader is at 13. Ding, ding, ding. Here we go. <laughs> August Abreu is about to get up to 20. Absolutely. And I see Shytown Fanboy saying, never forget F the home run. Uh, that is out of context. Uh, we just like to make fun of it. Um, but he said specifically about Andrew Vaughn and his development, how he hadn't hit a home run yet. Fuck the home run. Let's just get hits and the home runs will come. Now, that might be what he's saying to everyone that, hey, let's just worry about getting hits. And since you are a professional hitter, the home runs will come. I, I don't think that's true. That's not true at all. They've proven for 100 games uh, that that's not going to work. Maybe today's the wake up game, but I'm sick of saying that. So I, I really do need to see a lot from this team to prove that they have turned things around, that things are actually going to change, that they're going to start elevating the ball. And like we said, the start of the game wasn't the most uh, emphatic reasoning, uh, to the emphatic moments of seeing like, hey, look at them lift and elevate the ball because a lot of it was singles that got through. And I got to say, I got to see at least seven games in a row with multiple home runs to say the White Sox have figured it out, have doing the job lifting the ball in the air. And I want to even actually give credit specifically to Aloy. The situation called for a ball in the air and the ball he almost took out with the bases loaded. It called for that. He looked for it, elevated a slider. A slider was elevated and he almost took it out. So many times White Sox hitters this year have been just grounding pitchers, pitches right into the ground for a GIDP. But Aloy understood the situation and executed the situation. That's good to see that he is getting it specifically because he now has moved up to the third spot in the lineup. And Tony, I'm glad he saw it or whoever's doing the lineup. Glad that they, they're seeing that Aloy's starting to square up the ball and hit it hard. So if he's starting to get it, Augsabreu's here. And maybe if Tim gets his – whatever's going on with Tim, man. Right. There's, some, there's something going on because he hasn't been the same player he was early in the season. I just need him to get – focused and real about what's going on in the field and make sure that he leads the team. He's the leader. And he's still got that three game suspension coming up for himself. So I would want him to already take it, take it tomorrow, take it tomorrow, the beginning of this Royals game and the two right. games in Texas. Yeah. Cause I know Tony would want to rest him anyway. So just take the suspension, just drop your uh, appeal, take the suspension, enjoy your weekend, go on Saturday and hopefully you'll face a uh, Odessa Keuchel. And this if, weekend. And if you want Odessa, uh, Austin Keuchel. Uh, if you're That's too good of a city. Going out there, I don't know too many. El Paso? El Paso that Keuchel? Um, yeah, I, I watched the John Boy breakdown of Tim Anderson getting in that umpire's face. And, yeah, I mean, that guy deserves three games. I mean, that was over the top there for yeah. Timmy. Uh, if he gets two, if he gets one, I think he gets out, uh, you know, uh, pretty 
unscathed there. That's going to do it, though, for the CHGO White Sox postgame show. Uh, and I think Zachary asked, do the Sox lead the sing- uh, league in singles? Uh, they Rick Hahn said they're near the top at, in hits and batting average, so I wouldn't yeah. be shocked if they're, they lead in singles. And I want to congratulate KPW for his uh, Whit Merrifield coming to Canada, spreading germs. I can. He's getting a shot because now he's on a real team. So he's saying, big F you to Royals. I don't care about you guys, but I got to go to Canada. I got to get a shot now. Sorry. Not principal at all. Bye. I'm going to go get it for a playoff team. Uh, I hope he loses every game. I agree. KPW. I agree. Still hate him. That's our Lawrence. You can follow him on Twitter at Ecknerwall23. He's a CHGO White Sox community leader. I'm Sean Anderson. You can follow me on Twitter in high or HL uh, coming in first in singles, fourth in average, and 26th in home runs. Uh, I'm Sean Anderson. You can follow me on Twitter at Sean underscore W underscore Anderson. You can follow the show on Twitter at CHGO underscore White Sox. You can follow Vinny Duber, our beat writer, at Vinny Duber. You can become an article and read his articles at allchgo.com. Appreciate everyone hanging out with us in the chat. Thankfully, the White Sox got a win, and tomorrow we'll be joining you at 1230 for the pregame between Lance Lynn and Brady Singer, and we'll be joining you after for the live postgame show as well. Thank you to Stephen Nicholas for his production, and thank you to Fleetwood Mac for their 1979 album, Tusk. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Go White Sox. Good night.